everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. How are we? It's going to be like that, huh? <laughs> All right. Well, um, so we are starting a new series in, um, in this month, starting the Advent series, which I am very excited about. So today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can open it up or power it on to Genesis chapter 3. And as you get there, I want to I want to try to uh, try to give you a challenge. And so, one of the things I noticed at home is that oftentimes, uh, when there's kind of nothing to do and our TV is just on, um, it lands on Harry Potter, because it turns out that Harry Potter is always on a channel somewhere. Like, I think it's just one of the movies is always around somewhere. And so, um, but, but what we always notice is that um, it's kind of like one of those things that's kind of, we, at this point, we passively watch it if it's on. Um, and, and you might have things like this for you, where TV or movies or things, where you kind of just passively watch it because you've seen it so many times. There's no intrigue. There's no excitement. What's going to happen next? And a lot of that is because you've just become so familiar with it that the newness is gone. And so what I want to challenge you with this morning is to try to hear this text. If you've already heard it before, if the newness has worn off, to hear this text as if it was new, to hear this story as if you have never heard it before, to really look at it not as something you, you may have heard in, um, as a kid or you may have heard preached other places, but really to hear this fresh. See, God, the God of the universe, the God in the cosmos, in the expanse of the universe, spoke. And when he spoke, the world and everything around it, everything in it, was created. And, and in it, he looked at the creation, he said it was good. And then, again, he spoke. God used his words to create someone in his image, a person. And then decided that it was, it was not good that that person be alone, so created another person out of him. Adam and Eve were created. And the entire Area, the entire place, the, 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 the garden that they were given to thrive and be fruitful and multiply was in complete harmony and relationship with God was in complete connection and with each other was in complete connection and there was no strife and there was no anger and there was no hurt and there was no loss, but there was harmony. And at one point, one of these people created in the image of God was deceived and made a decision to break that unity, to break that harmony. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Genesis 3 chapter, sorry, verse 1. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. 
knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And so he twisted the words of God. These words that God used to create the world and everything in it were twisted and delivered in a way that made them think, maybe I could be God. Maybe I could take charge. Maybe I could be the one who makes the decisions. Maybe I could be the one to run things. Maybe when God speaks, it's not such a big deal. We skip down to verse 14. After this entire harmony had been fractured by sin, So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains and you will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the fields. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground. Since when you were taken from it, for you are dust, and you will return to dust. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and the wife, and he clothed them. Let's pray. God, this story seems familiar to some and not to others, God, but God, I pray that we open our minds to hear this as really the narrative that still exists today. The narrative where we rebel against you, we sin. God, but that's not the end of this story, God, that you did send Jesus to be born, a little baby in a manger to live perfectly and die for us and crush the head of the servant. God, we thank you for who Jesus is. We thank you for what he's done. God, and we pray that you would continue to remind us through this season of the importance of that arrival. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So my name is Tony. I have the privilege of being on the teaching team here at City of Lights. Welcome if it's your first time. Welcome back if you have been here before. Um, And I just want to start by putting my cards on the table. Um, So I am, I'm all, uh, all my chips are in on Christmas. We've had decorations up for about a month now. Um, This is, I just want to let you know where I stand. I mean, I know that some people are going to get upset and they're going to, um, they're going to think Thanksgiving doesn't get its due. And so, but I just want to kind of put my cards on the table and say, I've been listening to Christmas music. So XM has a station, Holiday Pop, and my radio has been on that mug for about a month. So... um, and, and, and for those of you that, that, that think Thanksgiving doesn't get its due, I want you to like, it really kind of crossed my mind this week that um, on Thursday, we ate more food than we should have eaten, and we, had comp- we made awkward conversation with family we haven't seen in a while, and then we all got in our pajamas and spent all night so we could save money on body wash, and that's normal. So I, those of you that are fighting for Thanksgiving, I just want to put that out there that that's what we're fighting for. Um, but I hope your Thanksgiving was good. Um, but yeah, so, so Christmas is something that, um, that I've always been on. And, and the, the interesting thing is that 
regardless of if you are somebody who is everything is merry and bright, holly jolly Christmas, uh, you got lights on lights on lights, and you're excited for this season, um, or you're not, um, you really can't escape it. Like Christmas is absolutely everywhere. It is in the shops, it's in your neighborhood, it's, it's everywhere. So you really can't get away from the holiday season as it starts to come in December. Um, and, and so really we find ourselves kind of in a spectrum between two places. And so um, like where I'm kind of usually at is this, uh, that like I have this snowman countdown thing that's like been going already and so I'm already listening to the music and already in on it and 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 what it really means is I'm excited for what this season brings I'm excited for the parties I'm excited for the family I'm excited for the food I'm excited for the movies I'm excited for all of it and 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 really if we if we dig underneath that excitement for those of us that are Christmassy type people that really get amped on this stuff um, what it really is 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 that we've got expectations for Christmas we've got expectations for the togetherness the snows coming down and the presents are getting opened and everybody's excited and 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 the foods kind of um, and 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 these expectations are really what we would call hope. We have hope that this season is going to bring and deliver the things that it usually does for us. And, and, and this idea of hope is, in a worldly sense, we would kind of replace with the word wish. Like we wish, we wish things are going to be really great. We wish that um, nobody's, our family's not going to fight. We wish that everything's going to be as we expect. And then Christmas comes, the, the, the countdown goes down to zero on my little snowman thing, and, and then if it is, if it turns out to be everything you had wished for, everything that you put your hope in, then still December 26th comes, and the family's gone, and the food's done, maybe there's some leftovers, the presents are all opened, the newness on them is kind of worn off, and the season's over. And it leaves a little bit of emptiness, right? Like, you were hoping for this exciting thing, and, and maybe it was and maybe it wasn't, but either way, it's done. And you can look forward to next year, but, but, but we have to take down all the decorations. We start listening to other music because the season's over. Or so, so maybe you're on towards the other end of the spectrum. Maybe Christmas, maybe the holiday season is not merry and bright. Maybe this season is one that you're experiencing for the first time without somebody that meant, was very dear to you during this time. Maybe this season is something where, where you are not anxiously looking forward to it, but you are anxiously stressed out about the things that are going to be demanded of you. Maybe this season you're just hoping that, that he won't show up or that she won't, she won't say what she normally says or he won't drink too much or these people won't argue and bicker, maybe you just see Christmas as something to get through. And once again, if we dig underneath that, what we find is hope. We find wishful thinking. Like maybe we'll just get through this and it'll be better. And then people are still people. Sinners are still sinners. Arguments that have always gone on still go on. And the season is as it always has been for you. And you feel the hopes dashed. See, the Bible, though, defines hope differently. The, the Bible doesn't define hope as something simply to be wished for. The Bible defines hope a little differently. And so we heard hope talked about in, this, in the lighting of the Advent candle here in a scripture. There's a lot of scripture about hope, but I think I'm actually going to focus in on, uh, I'll read this to you. Um, you don't have to turn there. It's two verses in Titus chapter 1. 1. Um, it is an, it's in the middle of an introduction. Paul says this, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, in the hope of eternal life that God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. On his own time, he has revealed his word in the preaching 
with which I was entrusted by the command of God our Savior. So Paul here is talking about hope, and he says, our hope is in eternal life, which, by the way, God promised us, and he can't lie. So that, does, that doesn't sound like a wish. You see what the difference there? Like, if, if we're wishing for eternal life, then we're like, maybe we'll get it, maybe we won't, we don't know. But, but Paul says, no, 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 God promised it, and God can't lie. So we have it. So hope doesn't really mean a wish, but hope is this. Biblical hope is the confident expectation of things promised. So God promised things, and we expect those things to be delivered because God cannot lie. And not only do we know this, but we are confidently expecting it to happen. So, you start to see that our earthly wish for Christmas to look a certain way is not an expectation of God's promise, but rather our own idea of what God should have promised for our lives. And we see this because after Christmas, when there's no more time left, it's here and gone and we box up everything, and it doesn't deliver the goods we might, look, we might have looked for, we realize that well, God never promised that. And so... What did God promise? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Within the, gener- the Genesis 3 narrative, we see some promises, some things that we can actually confidently expect and put our hope in. So we start this series called Advent, and Advent is really, um, it's really based on the Latin word adventus, which, adventus, which means arrival. And, and, and it has two pieces to it. So, so we look back at the arrival of Jesus Christ as a baby in a manger, and we look ahead to the arrival of Jesus in the second coming to make all things new. And, and so we have this as part of our church calendar. And, and so if you didn't realize this, the, the, the global Christian church has a calendar which, um, which they operate um, which we operate, and um, and I know that that sometimes kind of triggers some things in your maybe in your past or other things that you may have seen where you say, well, well, hold on a second, I didn't think this was a very liturgical church. I thought we were free to worship God however we want. But 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 think about it this way. So um, so I've been married now for over two years, and one of the things that we're learning especially when you introduce kids into the picture, is that um, you, have to, you have to carve out time to date each other. Like that actually has to be a planned thing because you have every intention of dating each other, but if you don't actually carve out the time to do so, then, then you just kind of get busy with other things. And so similarly, we, we would love to say that we, we, we remember Jesus being born. We remember the things that he came for. We remember why he came and why we needed him to come. But, and, and we remember how he said he's going to come again. But, but then we go to work. Then we have family things. Then we have drama. Then we have bills. And we start to forget. And so as a church... It's important for us to carve out spaces, to carve out time, to to have some sort of regular tradition for how we remember certain things. And so Advent is part of that. And so um, if you look at the church calendar, it actually starts today. Happy New Year. This is the new year of the church calendar. Um, And it starts with Advent. And Advent is um, focusing for four weeks leading up to Christmas on the arrival of Jesus and what he said about when he returns. And so why is it at this point in time, I mean, I think that um, it can feel sort of random, but it actually isn't, that, that Advent actually coincides with um, the darkest time of the year in December. And so um, the entire story of Jesus coming is really a story of darkness, deep darkness, and light invading that darkness. That's the story of Jesus. And so, um, and so in this time where it's the darkest time of the year, we look at stories where light invades the darkness. And if you, um, 
if you watch movies, you'll see this all over the place. Anytime we have a Christmas movie, um, you can kind of break down the plot this way, that there's um, some sort of deeply felt darkness um, that has to do with this time of year. And then, and then all of a sudden, somehow the, the, the power of the Christmas season kind of invades that darkness and, and light produces out of it. And, and I mean, I think about um, one of my favorites, The Christmas Carol. Now, I, I um, prefer the Muppet version. <laughs> That's a... That's an important one. Um, the, the, the Christmas carol where, where Scrooge is kind of all torn up about, about, about money and, 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 and he seems like he has no Christmas spirit and he is angry towards everybody. And then, then we dig deeper into his past and we find out that, in fact, he has suffered loss himself around Christmas. But then all of a sudden these Christmas spirits come in and they show him the magical power of this season and light invades the dark spaces and he becomes a changed person. These are the stories we see all over the place. This is Christmas. This is the, this is the light invading dark spaces. And Advent is an important time to study that. So earlier this week, there was an op-ed piece in the New York Times titled, Want to Get in the Christmas Spirit? Face the Darkness by Tish Harrison Warren. I'm going to read a quote. It's a little lengthy, but I think it's important for us to, to read this quote. So So Tish is a priest in the Anglican Church of North America, and about Advent, she writes this. We need communal rhythms that make deliberate space for both grief and joy. For me, the old saying rings true, hunger is the best condiment, abstaining for a moment from the clamor and compulsive jollification instead of leaning into the reality of human tragedy and of my own need and brokenness allows me to experience of glory at Christmas time to feel not only more emotionally sustainable, but also more vivid, vital, and cherished. Our response to the wrongness of the world can often be an unhealthy escapism, and we turn to the holidays as anesthesia from the pain as much as anything else. We need collective space and a society to grieve, to look long and hard at what is cracked and fractured in our world and in our lives. Only then can celebration become deep, rich, and resonant, not as a saccharine act of delusion, but as a defiant act of hope. And so, so, so thinking about the darkness, thinking about the curse, thinking about the difficulty that Genesis 3 brought doesn't seem very Christmassy. It doesn't seem very jolly. It doesn't seem like, it seems like, oh, Merry Christmas, bah humbug. It's really bad out there. But, but it's important because as this was saying, you can see that by, by, by focusing on that for just a second, by stopping and creating a space to think about why Jesus came in the first place, actually will create more joy, will create more hope. In fact, hope on something that God actually did promise, hope on something that we can actually be confident in, as opposed to hope on something similar, something that is just um, materialistic, like we often find ourselves in this season. And so in the Genesis 3 narrative, what we see is um, a few things that, that still even, I think, affect us today. The first thing is that when Adam and Eve are exposed, their first response is to hide. Their first response is shame. Shame enters the world. So, so Adam and Eve's sin and the entire world and how the harmony that was operating in was fractured. And the first thing we see is shame. And shame is so dangerous to get caught up in. I don't know, it, I don't know if you've ever been caught up in, uh, in shame, but it's, it's something that the enemy uses very um, tactfully to put a wedge in our relationship with God, to try to put a wedge in our relationship with others. And it started at the very beginning. So I think about it like this. So um, I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but um, I don't know if anybody has ever used a, like, a, like a payday loan or a cash advance type of thing. It's, it can be a very difficult thing. If you, get, if you use it, they can be very dangerous. And, um, and so when I was in college, that's something that I used. Um, and, and it kind of works like this. So if you don't have enough money to make it through November, and then um, so, so you borrow from December's paycheck, 
to help with November, but then your bills didn't really change in December, so you already didn't have enough, and then you borrowed from that paycheck, which means you have even less money. So now you need to borrow more from January, and now January's paycheck is short, and on and on the cycle goes, and it gets worse and worse over time, and it's a cycle, and shame is very similar. You see, we do something, we get exposed in something, we realize something that we have done or, or something that has been done to us that we feel is somehow our fault or we carry along with us and then we feel bad about ourselves and so we throw ourselves into something else, we hide, we, we, we do more things that we feel ashamed about and the cycle continues because we feel bad and then we do things and then we feel bad and, and ultimately it makes us feel like we are bad people. See, that's where shame ends up. Shame ends up says, because you did this, because this was done to you, you're a bad person. You're not loved. You're not valued. That's shame. And that entered in Genesis 3. And so we often equate it with guilt. But, and, and you may have heard this before, but, but guilt and shame are actually very different. See, see, Adam and Eve, at the point where they broke God's rule, at the point where the first sin happened, they were guilty. They were immediately guilty. And so similarly, if you, if you do something, if you are caught up in some sort of sin and you, and you sin against God, you rebel against God, you, you go against the, his commandments, you're at that point guilty of doing that. And, and so shame is then what happens after that is your response to being guilty. Now, you could at this point look and say, actually, Jesus came to cover my sin. I am right before God, and now let's address the things that I did. Let's, let's try to work on the things that I did. But, but oftentimes, shame is the other option. We instead say, I did that, and so now I am the worst. I'm a horrible father, I'm a horrible husband, I'm a bad brother, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bad friend, I'm not a good employee. And then we do more things to escape that. And it leads you further into bitterness towards people around you. And even further into bitterness towards God. The second thing we see in Genesis 3 is that relational harmony is broken. So shame enters the world, and then relational harmony is broken. And so um, we see that from not only hiding from God, but we see that from the husband and wife relationship, where now you are going, your desire is for your husband, and instead of cherishing and nurturing and caring for you and valuing you as a person, men over the history of time, even today, if you open up a news app on your phone, don't do it now. If you do, you'll see men continue to abuse that, to use that, to, to domineer, to objectify and dominate. And women um, who, who feel the, the, the pull towards their spouse as their ultimate um, value instead of God. And relational harmony is broken. And, and, and so I think this actually makes its way um, into even the church. You see, um, before the curse, before sin enters, it says that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. And I, now I know that you might not really feel like that's heavy. You know, I know there's probably a lot of guys out there that probably just get in front of the mirror, gut hanging out, like, yeah, I'm feeling good. Like, <laughs> not ashamed of anything. It's not what that means. It's really very little to do with clothes. Um, naked and unashamed, it really means this. Adam and Eve were completely exposed. Emotionally, spiritually, relationally, physically, they were exposed. That, that he knew everything about her, about her soul, about her, her desires, about who she is. And she knew everything about him. And there was never a reason to hide. But then Genesis 3 happens. And relational harmony is broken. And now we feel the need to hide. And so I say this makes its way into the church because... Um, 
I bet that if you ran into people this morning, or maybe there was the meet and greet and you were um, talking to people, um, chances are if somebody said, hey, how's it going? Your answer was probably good. Maybe it was fine. And, and the reason for that is probably that you didn't, if there are things going on that, that, you know, we've all been kind of discipled by culture, that if we say anything other than good, great, fine, then we are actually um, a burden on them. We're taking time from them. That's not what they meant. That was just kind of a greeting. I actually don't need to talk about that. And if we dig deeper, it means um, I actually don't want to reveal what's going on. I'd rather just put this mask over everything and say, I'm great. How are you, brother? And, and so we feel the need to hide. Instead of saying, you know what, this has actually been a really rough week. We've been dealing with some things at home. Um, I mean, can you imagine a church that looks like that? Where you can walk in and somebody says, hey, how are you doing this morning? Says, you know, we've been fighting all the way here. <laughs> right, honey? <laughs> yeah. Okay, maybe it doesn't look like that. <laughs> but, but imagine a place where, where you can actually say, I'm not fine. I'm not okay. I'm really working through some things, and I'd appreciate your prayer for that. I'd appreciate your encouragement for that. Or let's get real awkward here. How about we stop in the middle of the hallway and pray right now? Now, where does that make sense except the church? The church should actually be the place where people can be, and I'm going to be very careful how I say this, <laughs> exposed and unashamed. <laughs> that this should be a place where you feel it's okay to talk about what's really going on. To take the mask, to take the mask off, even if it's a holiday Christmas mask that you really put on for the holidays, or maybe even coming to church this time of year as part of the mask, where you say, I'm just, let's, let's get into the church because it's the holidays and we want to look like everything's great. And so you send out the Christmas cards, and I'm not knocking Christmas cards. We're going to do one too. We have my son surrounded by lights. It looks like a big fire hazard, but, he, you know, we survived. <laughs> but... But that's what it's about. And so this relational harmony has been broken, and it's carried its way into the church. It carries its way into our relationships. It carries its way into our friendships. We just say everything is fine. And that came from Genesis 3. I'll do one more. Um, the, uh, the working the ground and toiling with the ground, the sweat from your brow to get food, the pains in childbirth, what we see is that not only in Genesis 3 did the relationship between God and us get fractured, but the relationship between each other got fractured, and now the relationship between us and the earth gets fractured. The way that the earth works, the way that, the way that sickness comes in and ravages, the way that destruction, that natural disasters come through, that that. No longer are we given these good things of food, but we have to work and pain for them. Within pain is going to come the good thing of food. Within, within pain is going to come the great thing of childbirth. All these things are going to come alongside pain and hard work. And the world itself, you can, if you step outside you should be able to be very aware of the Genesis 3 curse that is still wreaking havoc. Um, I, uh, my, one of my brothers, um, he is a police officer. Um, his wife is a nurse practitioner. Um, and a few months ago, he was diagnosed with cancer, um, stage 3 cancer, and, and he's had it removed and, and now is going through chemo to try to eradicate the rest of it. And um, a lot of difficult conversations um, in our family from that. Um, but one of the things I recognize is that um, they didn't seem like... So, of course, they're, they're upset and they're stressed and they're worried and they're praying to God, but they didn't seem like totally caught off guard that cancer could even happen. And I think the reason for this is because they both work in professions where they get to confront a Genesis 3 world in a way that most of us don't. 
that as a police officer, you get to confront the darkness and the bitterness and the worst of the worst that maybe we all don't normally see. That as a nurse practitioner, you can work in a hospital, in the emergency section, working with families who see sickness with people who just should never have been sick, with people who don't deserve it. And you see that the world itself is broken. And so you may not be as clued into this um, with your daily life and your profession, but, but eventually we start to see it. We start to see that the world itself has been broken. And in a Genesis 3 world, we see that the, the ground and the air and the medical things that happen to us are a result of Genesis 3, of the curse. So, in this difficult post-Genesis 3 world, where's hope? I started talking about hope. I started talking about joy and, and how I love Christmas. I know it doesn't seem like it much right now, but I love Christmas and I'm really excited for this season. So where does that come into this time? In such a dark time? Well, if you look even inside of that narrative, God injects hope. He injects promises. He injects confident expectation. And not just for the future, but for in that moment. So shame enters, but then what does God do? He says, let me make you some clothes. Let me, let me make you some things to cover up. And so relational harmony is broken, but he says, no, let, let, let me help. You and your wife are going to come together as one and love each other and work through this relational awkwardness, and I'm going to be there the whole time. And, and the, the toil of the ground, he's still going to provide food. He's still going to provide a way to be fruitful and multiply. See, God injects hope even in the midst of pronouncement of a curse. That we can be confident that even though the Christmas season is not going to always go the way you want, that it's not going to look like the movies, that it's not going to look like um, TV, that just like in Genesis 3, Everything seems lost, but God says, I'm still here. That God is still with us, and he's still providing for us, and he's still caring for us, and he still loves us, and loves us to the fact that not only did he say, I'm going to be here for you even in the midst of this, but I am going to make this right. In fact, I'm going to send somebody, God in the flesh, to crush the serpent's Head. And when you hear Genesis 3 in a different light and think about the same chaos that it creates today and you think he's going to crush the head of the serpent. Yes. Yes. And so in Advent, we look back. We look back to Jesus coming as a baby to live a life just like you or me only perfectly. Yes. And die a death he did not deserve. And raise again to crush the head of the serpent and remind us of the hope that has been promised. Yes. See, we live in a time that theologians often call the already but not yet. So God has already come. He's lived, died, defeated death. But he's not yet come to make everything right, to open up the sky and make everything new again. And so we find ourselves in this in-between time where we see glimpses of heaven on earth. Sometimes the dark hearts that my brother sees as a police officer get renewed. God comes, the Spirit of God comes in, and he rejuvenates people, and many people in here have that story or know that story. And sometimes the, the people that my sister-in-law see in the hospital, they miraculously get better, and healing is brought through prayer, and we see glimpses of God already coming and his spirit working in and through us. But then we see 
some of the not yet. We see some difficult things that we have to walk through, such as cancer. And we pray, and we, we ask God to do what only God can do. And we put our hope in Jesus through that. And so when we look back, what, was the, what were things like when Jesus was born? Well, um, we're actually, I'm going to back up to Malachi chapter 3. So this is, uh, this is about 450 years or so before Jesus is born. And it talks about the situation at 450 years before Jesus. And Malachi chapter 3 says this, Since the day, uh, this is verse 7, Since the days of your fathers, you have turned away from my statues, you have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. Yet you ask, how can we return? Will a man rob God? Yet are you robbing me? How do we rob you, you ask? By not making the payments of a tenth and contributions. And then verse 14, he says this, You have said, it is useless to serve God. What have we gained by keeping his requirements and walking mournfully before the Lord of armies? So now we consider the arrogant to be fortunate. Not only do those who commit wickedness prosper, they even test God and escape. So this is the people who say this, um, We follow you, God, and good things aren't happening. People over there curse your name, and it seems like they're prospering. What's, what's going on with that? God, this isn't fair. This isn't how we thought it would be. We thought you were just going to bless us and make us the most prosperous people, but instead you don't. You seem to not even care or hear what we're talking about. This is their petition to God. And God's response is that you have no idea what's going on with them. In fact, you might not even know what's going on in your own heart. In fact, I am providing for you, but your eyes are over there. And we get so caught up with everything happening around us. So, so you see the darkness that is, that, is still, that is happening right before Jesus comes. And then we see that in a, from the beginning of time to then, there's always kind of somebody speaking on behalf of God to God's people. But then for 400 years, nothing. That blank page between the Old and New Testament in your Bible, that represents 400 years, and it is intentionally left blank. And then, once again, God speaks. He speaks, and instead of creating the world, he created hope. He created a way. He spoke, and the mission started to become accomplished. He spoke and showed us how he planned to right the wrongs. He spoke and renewed the promise that he made at the beginning of time. And so we look forward. And so we look back and we see that the need for Jesus to come and now we look forward. And so my challenge for you this morning is that even though your eyes may be on everything around you, on everything in front of you, that maybe this season, this Advent, this Christmas, we can start to look up. We can start to put our hope in something that actually won't fail. We can actually start to put our hope in something that won't be done December 26th. We can actually put our hope in something that we can have confident expectation in instead of just wishful thinking. If, I don't know if you've ever done this, but, but um, I'm, my driving record would not tell you that I'm the best driver out there. I'll just leave it at that. Um, but sometimes... Um, I've almost gotten to an accident. Um, I don't know if you've ever done this, but like there might be a traffic jam way up ahead and your eyes are like right here in front of you and you have no idea that everyone stopped up ahead and then the person in front of you stops and you have to slam on your brakes because your eyes were so in front, so in front of the next possible thing that you missed the bigger picture of what was actually happening. 
And so that often happens to us. We get so, whether we love Christmas season or it's a time of drama and dysfunction, our eyes, regardless of which side of the spectrum you fall on or somewhere in between, your eyes are on the wrong thing. Your eyes are on the the parties and the food and the family, and those are good things when they go well, but they're not going to deliver the goods. They're not going to deliver a confident expectation of what God has promised. We see this in multiple biblical stories, but one that I want to clue you into this morning is that in Ecclesiastes. If you've read Ecclesiastes before, um, you might know it's about Solomon. Solomon is the wisest king to ever live. So, so God says, hey, you can ask for one thing. You can ask for whatever you want. So, so what is it that you want? Do you want money? Do you want popularity? Do you want um, stuff? Do you want recognition? And, and Solomon says, I want wisdom. I want to be the wisest person that's lived. And God says, because you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you wisdom. And then I'm going to give you some of these other things. I'm going to give you the wealth. I'm going to give you the power. And so what Solomon does is he begins what theologians will call the great experiment. Where he says, I'm going to collect all the money and sit here and look at my money and see if it satisfies. And he says, no, it turns out to be meaningless. And I'm going to pursue lust and throw myself into that. And you can read about that, but... I don't know how much of a player you are, but he did way better. <laughs> and he says, this is not, uh, this is a meaningless pursuit. And so he throws parties and he throws epic parties. He throws parties that go on for days. The provisions for, these, for his parties are literally biblical. Like they have lists of all the things he would need for his parties. And he hires the best entertainers. And he says, you know what? This pursuit is actually also meaningless. And he, on and on it goes. This is why it's the great experiment. He says, will this deliver the goods? No. Will this make me, my soul satisfied? No. Is this something I can put my hope in? No. And, and finally, even he talks about pursuing knowledge, just knowing a lot about everything. And this gets towards the end of the book. So Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 9, it says this. In addition to the teacher being a wise man, he constantly taught the people knowledge. He weighed, he weighed, explored, and arranged many proverbs. The teacher sought to define delightful sayings and write words of truth accurately. The sayings of the wise are like cattle prods, and those from the masters of collections are like firmly embedded nails. The sayings are given by one shepherd, but beyond these, my son, be warned. There is no end to the making of many books. And much study wearies the body. So even this didn't deliver the goods. Even this didn't satisfy his soul. He continues, When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. This is the bottom line. This is the, this is the end all result of the great experiment. Fear God. Keep his commandments. Because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. He says this, I've tried everything. Believe me, you don't need to repeat Solomon's experiment. I know many of you might be trying. (laughs) He's tried everything. None of it satisfied. And in fact, at the end of the day, He said, I found this is actually what did. Fear God. Follow his commandments. From the very beginning to now. We fear God. We follow his commandments. We take our eyes off of the holiday season and we put our eyes up beyond the sun to what really satisfies. And so in this moment, if you're anything like me, you are starting to feel the holiday season ramp up. 
You're starting to feel the, the tension on your schedule, the tension on your, your finances, the tension in your family, the tension in your health. This is the time of year where the church starts to sound like the waiting room at urgent care, right? <laughs> and yet, we don't ever take time away from the noise, away from the stresses, away from the difficulties, to just be with God. And so I'm going to give you just a minute or two to step out of the noise, out of the chaos of the holiday season, and reflect. If you're a Christian and you'd like to pray, this would be a great time. Listen to what God has to say with you. If you're not and you don't, you don't feel comfortable praying, just reflect. What is, what is God trying to tell you? What are the things that you may have been pursuing? What are the things that your eyes have been on that maybe they shouldn't have? Where has your hope been placed that maybe it won't deliver? But take a couple minutes. And let's put our eyes up. God, we're humbled by your mercy, by your forgiveness, by what you did to save us, to right the wrongs that happened in Genesis 3. We, we get so distracted. God, I admit that, that I get so distracted with the holiday season, with both the joys and the pains that I forget to look up. I forget that you're still speaking. I forget that you still have a plan for my life. I forget that you've still called me to things. God, I pray this morning we're reminded that even amongst all these pursuits that we have in our lives, that ultimately our hope, the hope of the Advent season, the hope that you have given us is beyond the sun. That is to acknowledge you and your glory to obey your commandments, to put our trust in Jesus. God, that's the only thing that really matters this holiday season. And everything else is a result of that. God, I pray that we begin to walk this way and that we keep you at the forefront throughout this entire season. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.